Hello, and my name is Peter Rushma, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by Christian Harris. He's the founder of Slip Safety Services and is an absolute specialist in the world of slip safety. In this session, we talk about six tips for reducing slips in your workplace, which is one of the major contributing uh, areas of accidents in your workplace. And what a fantastic episode and guest Christian has been for this session. So please do enjoy it. Catch you soon. Uh, I'm joined this morning by Christian Harris. Thank you for joining me, Christian, uh, on Half Dozen Things podcast. Chris, uh, Christian is a uh, slip specialist, and we're going to be covering off some really interesting content today around a chimes model and a six-step six-step method for reducing slips in the workplace as well. So, first of all, I'm just going to ask Christian: Are you okay? To just introduce yourself for the listeners, please, Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Christian Harris. Uh, CEO and founder of a business called Slip Safety Services. Uh, basically, we prevent slip and fall accidents and insurance claims in busy commercial buildings, uh, which drives down injuries, uh, claims costs and premiums, of course. Um, been doing this for uh, over a decade now, and at last count, we were preventing about £10 million a year of insurance claims in the UK. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? And that, and that just goes to show, because the next thing we we're going to talk about is a little bit of context around slips in the workplace as well. So that's a, a significant sum of money. So talk it to is, me a bit. Yeah, it is, but actually it's not when you see the size of the problem. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, Are you able to just give us a bit of context around the size of the problem, Christian? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of kind of headline figures uh, from, a, from a claims perspective. So to put that 10 million into context, uh, we work with AXA Insurance. We're their kind of approved supplier for slips and trips. Um and their last published data they showed 80 million eight zero of slip claims every year and another about 15 million of trips. Um, but the next biggest cause of claim was manual handling, which is 30. So slips is more than double the next biggest cause of claims. And if you look at AXA's market share and you kind of extrapolate those numbers, then you're talking well over a billion pounds a year of claims every year in the UK. Uh, just from slips. So yes, 10 million sounds uh, interesting and impressive and it's a good achievement, don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, it, we've got a long way to go uh, to try to, to reduce that overall number. Um, another uh, figure that's interesting, um, over 300,000 people a year go to A&E after a slip and that results in one and a half million NHS bed days. So, you know, lots and lots and lots of people getting hurt. Um, and obviously that affects them personally, but it also affects their business as well as their friends and family wow that's uh that, that's in, that's some big big like they're, they're big numbers <laughs> my, son, my big son numbers, my yeah. son's nine and he always goes to me what does this add this make and i'm like a big number yeah. um and, and and that's a big number um so 80 to put that 
so just so I get my context right, so 80 million, that's a, a pound sterling amount rather yeah. than a volume of... of 80 million of pounds yeah. of, of claims, yeah. Wow. So the, the average claim is, is about £10,000. Um, okay. But uh, you do get obviously massive ones. So, you know, we've, uh, we've been involved in, in claims of over a million pounds uh, on, on, on several occasions. None of those happen every day uh, because obviously with the way that the UK um, court system works, you know, to get to a million, you've got to have a very serious injury and a massive um, effect on your life and a loss of earnings and, and, and things like that. Uh, but you do see big, big claims. Um, yeah. and, and there's criminal fines as well. So uh, in early 2020, Tesco had a criminal fine of 733,000 after someone slipped and broke their hip in one of their stores. Wow. Well, that's um, that's big numbers, and, uh, and and is obviously a big problem for, for for many workplaces. So, what what types of companies do you work with then, Christian, to to sort of help reduce slips in the workplace? It's a broad range of companies that we support um, because we work with a number of insurers. We kind of get pulled in all sorts of different um, directions. But if you looked historically at where we've done the most work, it's probably in sectors like hospitality and leisure. Uh, retail as in sort of our classified shopping centres, train stations, airports as, as retail, uh, and then kind of manufacturing types of, uh, of facilities, in other words, where, you know, from a, from a workshop to a food production, where workers are doing stuff and there's contamination and, and risk from that perspective. Okay, brilliant. And from an insurance point of view, you're not just working reactively, you're also working proactively with, with bigger companies to, to, to reduce proactively their, their, their liabilities around uh, any slip claims. That's, that's our desire and our wish and what we prefer to do, for sure. And yes, we are doing, we are doing some of that, um, both, both for insurers and kind of directly. Um, I think it's uh, the, big, the big challenge really around slips is there's a mindset issue where people kind of perceive that either they're inevitable or they're perhaps not that serious. And, and so we have to talk about these big numbers um, to kind of get the, the seriousness of the problem uh, known. And then we have to talk about the fact that you can do stuff to reduce them so people realise they're not inevitable. And then all of a sudden it opens up this kind of new world where people have a fresh understanding and fresh perspective and they can start to kind of make a dent in the problem. Absolutely. And uh, I know I know those business owners listening will be listening intently because a 10,000 average claim amount is is obviously uh, a, a large amount of money, but also it's the impact of lost days uh, in the business as well, and 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 the other the other challenges yeah. as well. So just talk to me a little bit, whilst we're sort of on the context before we move into the the six six step method and the Chimes model that we're going to discuss. What what does that process look like? So as we stand now, if one of our listeners had a member of staff uh, has a slip. Um, gets injured is one of the 300,000 average visits to, to A&E. What does that process look like from a, from a claim point of view? Uh, if a, if a business owner has not been through that experience yet, just sort of talk us through what that may look like for them. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's, if it's a workplace scenario like that, then typically the claim notification is made quite quickly. Um, when we're dealing with shopping center owners and, and people like that, you often find that, people lodge claims, you know, coming up to that three-year legal deadline and, and, and then you don't have CCTV and you don't have records and whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you're going to get a claim notification through from a solicitor that will go uh, to your insurer. Um, the insurer is then going to start asking you lots of questions about what you've got in place in terms of 
um, mechanisms and processes and systems and proof of what you've done to have uh, tried to avoid that accident from happening and have you fulfilled your uh, your duty of care, which obviously you have an obligation to do uh, as an employer. Uh, there's a good chance that um, part of that might include doing a slip test, which we can talk a little bit about. So there's a way of actually scientifically measuring how uh, slip resistant the floor surface actually is in, in, in um, yeah, using a method that HSE and the courts uh, use called a pendulum test. So that may well become part of it as well. And then, as always, in, you know, with these claims, um, it comes down to a commercial decision in, in many senses. You know, you might think that we've done everything we could have done, but, you know, you might pay them a small amount to sort of settle the claim rather than, um, you know, rather than fight it and risk having to pay a larger amount. We might feel like we're banged to rights and we've got to pay them what we're asking for. Uh, or we might feel, actually, no, we've got a very robust um, defence here, and actually it was that person was contributing quite significantly because they weren't doing what they should have done, for example, and therefore we're going to fight it. So you've then got one of those three sort of outcomes to contend with. Got you. Got you. Fantastic. That's really, really, really insightful. Thank you. Okay, so um, it's now a good time for us to start to have a look at the chimes model yeah. then. So what, what, does that, what does that look like then, Christian? So um, basically, as I said, I think people have this kind of superficial um, view of this problem. So what we've tried to do is, and I've been doing this for, for over 10 years, is kind of deconstruct the real reasons why people slip and put it into something that's meaningful and understandable and actionable. Um, and so that's where we've come up with CHIMES. So CHIMES is an acronym, and it's the six reasons why people uh, slip. So I can run through... Um, it stands for and then we can delve into some of the some of the six or as many of them as you want yeah, to perfect. yeah perfect um okay. c is for contamination so um a clean and a dry floor is a safe floor but any kind of contamination which could be water grease dry, dry contaminants like dust or semi-solids or whatever is yeah. going to make the floor more slippery so contamination how can you control that mm-hmm. h is heel so if you think about someone slipping there has to be a foot involved in it so to what extent are you able to control uh, what people are wearing on their feet? Or if you can't control it, you've got to bear that in mind and perhaps you've got to put more emphasis on the other areas of chimes. Mm-hmm. I is individual, so this is all the human factors. Um, this is a bit more easy to control uh, in terms of staff versus members of the public, obviously, because you can, you can enforce people acting in a certain way when they're members of staff, but not necessarily as members of the public. But if you think about... Um, Walking at a normal speed in a straight line, you require a certain amount of grip. I think people could understand that premise in their mind. Because if you start, you know, uh, running, uh, pushing, pulling, twisting, turning, carrying, then you need more grip. Mm-hmm. M is maintenance. So this is split into three things. Uh, one of the key ones is cleaning. So how is a floor maintained from a cleaning perspective? The other one is uh, the other two. Sorry, are wear and tear so floors will change in use over time and then change uh, and then change of use so if for example you had a retail store on high street and it closed down and somebody decided to set up a butchers in that store you know uh, that environment and the floor needs to be reconsidered because things may have been suitable for a retailer but it's probably not suitable for uh, for a butchers yeah of course yeah 
uh, in the environment. So that includes things like the weather and, and condensation and, and stuff, uh, but also the built environment. So steps and stairs, ramps and slopes, lighting, noise, things like that. And entrance matting is a big one. Uh, and then S is surface, so the floor. So uh, if you've got a floor that is um, slip resistant when wet, then you've got half a chance of keeping it safe. Uh, if you've got a floor that is, you know, like a, a sheet of ice uh, or a pane of ice on the floor and it's in a, a swimming pool or a workshop or a kitchen, you know, it's going to be very difficult to keep that uh, environment safe because the floor is uh, is not safe when it's wet. So that's the, that's the model. And what we tend to find when we explain that to people is uh, is two reactions. One is, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I can see now why there's a bit more science to this subject than I thought. And then the second reaction is, oh, actually, um, looking at that, we're only dealing with one or two of those, um, and there's a lot of work we need to do, um, and now we can understand why we might be struggling with uh, with slips and falls. Yeah, absolutely. This is it's quite eye opening for me, particularly as I think um, sort of particularly around our, our sort of transport customers. One of the questions I have for you, and I, I suppose um, you'd be well informed to answer the question, if. Um, if one of our members of staff, say a driver, was on the back of an HGV, they often get on to be able to connect to disconnect trailers, for example, yeah. and they fell off because they'd slipped. Does that go down? Is that recorded as a slip or is that class as a fall from height? Is it recorded slightly differently in the statistics? I mean, it would depend on always the challenge around recording of these kinds of incidents okay. because, um, for example, you know, when somebody like AXA sends us the claims history for a prospective client, Mm-hmm. It's an absolute minefield because of the way that it's tracked. And mm-hmm. so one of the challenges is, uh, as you've identified, are people recording things as a fall from height or as a slip? Because actually, in that case, it probably would go down as a fall from height, but the root cause of it would have been a slip. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and many falls from height um, don't typically just fall from height, if you know what I mean. Most falls from height have something that's actually caused them to happen. Um, the other one is that... Even above that, you get people just grouping together slips, trips, and falls into one big, big category, and then you don't really have much insight at all uh, in terms of what you try and solve that problem. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I, as you went through chimes, and I was just sort of thinking about in, that in that context, how that would affect our our transport customers in particular and um you know from a contamination point of view we look at oil leaks and fuel leaks yeah ad blue lots of opportunity for slippages and, and that kind of thing there from a ppe point of view that is fairly well accepted that a driver should wear non-slip safety boots um so that that's sort of not there's a bit of devil in the detail there though. okay fine because, yeah um if if you uh go to a pp supplier and you say i want some uh safety boots or some safety shoes or whatever mm-hmm. it might be um typically they're going to have you know your steel toe cap and your ankle protection yeah. and so on and so forth and then on the bottom of the sole they're going to have some kind of textured um uh, sole made of you know whatever kind of material um, and there's an EN standard for slip-resistant footwear, um, which pretty much all of these is always going to pass. But actually, um, the HSE or the HSL, the, the laboratory arm of the HSE, uh, they've developed their own kind of footwear test called GRIP, uh, because what they found is that the EN standard is is kind of like... Um, uh, I don't know, an 11 plus exam or a GCSE, whereas actually what you want in certain uh, scenarios is a PhD, to use an analogy. 
Um, so uh, what people should look for is, is if they can get it, is a grip rating for their shoes because that's going to be a much, much better um, test as to whether they're slip resistant or not because safety shoe or safety boot doesn't necessarily mean slip resistant. Um, yep. And the two big factors are the material of the sole and the tread pattern. Mm-hmm. So you can find that a... Um, think of a, you know, think of, um, I don't know, an Ocado delivery driver, let's say. Um, they might be going from uh, the um, the warehouse where there might be some oil or water on the floor mm-hmm. on, a, on a concrete or something like that. But then they might also be going out on, and walking on ice or snow or they might be mm-hmm. walking on grass, which could be slippery and wet. Mm-hmm. And actually, the, the tread pattern, the footwear, um, is going to perform differently in, in different, different environments. So, okay. uh, again, I, if I was going to sort of give one uh, piece of advice to anybody, it would be just don't don't assume. Um, and go, there is a lot of depth to this. So just go that level down and into the detail, and, and that's where you're going to get the biggest results. Who knew? I'm, I'm learning stuff now. Obviously, my understanding was quite superficial, so that's good. But it's good that I'm listening and learning. But that um, we're starting to get into like my world, which is tyres and grip ratings and and yeah. different, you know, different different tyres for different conditions. And I'm assuming yeah, exactly. grip grip it's ratings. Very very are similar. Yeah, it's very very similar. So if you think about um, when we're when we're measuring the um, certain resistance of a floor using this contraction called a pendulum test, and uh, we can include a link to a video of that in the notes if you want um it, it, it kind of uh it's swing it's called a pendulum because it swings and it's it, it has a rubber foot on the back of it and it strikes the floor and we use two different rubbers we use a one for a barefoot and one for a, for a shod foot because there's a different different rubber compound because you've got a difference between the hardness of a shoe versus a, a foot and um interestingly when you when it comes to the surface I'm thinking of, of an analogy of a Formula One uh, tyre. It kind of works similarly to that. So if you've got a very smooth floor, like a shiny marble, for example, mm-hmm. in dry conditions, you're going to get a very high level of slip resistance for that floor because you're going to get a huge amount of surface area contact, a bit like a slick tyre in the dry. Yeah. Whereas in the wet, you get very low slip resistance. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, absolutely. and the floor surface, textured floor surface, typically a bit like a um, wet tire that you'd use on a Formula One car, is going to give you better grip in wet mm-hmm. conditions. Um, but you get an inverse correlation. So a smooth floor normally has a very high dry slip resistance and a very low wet slip resistance. And then a textured floor uh, is sort of meeting in the middle. So you have a, a, a worse dry slip resistance, but a better, mm-hmm. much better slip, wet slip resistance. So say coming from a um a father of a daughter who has hemiplegia, cerebral palsy, um and uh taking her swimming is always a dice with death. Yeah. Um because she's much more prone to slipping because yeah. one of her one of her legs isn't quite and fit it doesn't, you know, meet the yeah. ground in the same way as a as as a person without those challenges would have. And then yeah. you add in you add in the slippery floor at a swimming pool mm. and um you know, she's 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 having a nightmare. We've, we've ended up she's ended up on her backside and hitting her head and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, um, it's interesting actually. What, what what do you like? What's what's the suggestion for swimming pools? Because certainly the local council run swimming pool. It doesn't appear that there's a lot there's a lot there, other than walk carefully. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I mean, we should all be using the same model, really. They should be considering all of these six factors. So, you know, if you've got a swimming pool, contamination is, but is obviously the floor is going to be wet, and therefore um, you need to be trying to maintain it in a safe condition when it's wet. But you've got things like body fats and calcium. Um, here, obviously, you can't really control because people are wearing bare feet, uh, yeah. not wearing shoes. So you just got to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, individual. Yes, you can have signs up and you can ask people not to run and things like that. And obviously, there's a, there's a certain level of duty of care there. Um, but it's really coming into maintenance and surface in those pools. So can you get the right floor surface on the floor and can you maintain it in the right way? Uh, because it is possible, you know, it, it, it's, it's definitely possible to have a swimming pool floor that is safe when it's wet. You know, if you just think about the fact that how many steps have you taken on pavements when it's been pouring in and you've not slipped over? Well, you, that, that proves that it's possible for floors to not be slippery even when they're wet. What does that mean? What makes that floor safe versus the, the, the swimming pool? Well, it's actually the floor surface and it's how it's maintained because what happens typically in these pools is, particularly on the pool sides, they're just not cleaned frequently enough is the honest answer. And therefore the contamination builds up on the surface and you get this kind of barrier of body fats and and grease sitting between what is probably a pretty safe floor and your first. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, that, that makes total sense, total sense. Okay, um, okay, bro. So those are the six areas for which, so as a business owner, so, so for argument's sake, we'll go back to the, the, the transport process yeah. where a lot of the listeners will be. As a transport owner, if they start to look at when they're, assessing the risk in their warehouse or storage um, in their yard uh, those kind of areas where slips are going to occur the chimes model is really what they want to start to think about so from a risk assessment point of view they could almost put each of those six areas and start to look at the controls they're putting in to try and tackle those is that is that sort of how you would use that model effectively exactly yeah exactly spot on and and some of them do obviously interrelate so you know the floor and the contamination and the the cleaning of that floor are all related to the floor but obviously uh, if you think about it you could have the most slippery floor in the world when it was wet if you had 100% con- uh, control over the contamination it never got wet and it never got contaminated then it doesn't matter so you know you've got to be thinking about all of this in a, in a kind of holistic way um, what, I, what I tend to find is that people uh, as I said look at maybe one or two uh, because they don't they haven't considered the breadth of the things that contribute to this and thinking about your daughter, you know, we can all walk on a, a slippery and wet surface because actually most floors in, in entrances to buildings, you know, or in workshops or in swimming pools are slippery. But we don't have hun- we don't have hundreds of millions of slips here. We have hundreds of thousands. We can all walk on floors that are slippery and wet. But it's when people have issues with balance or people don't spot the hazard or there's a change of surface or there's a... Um, a distraction you know if you're not looking properly or if something's distracting you or there's light or there's noise you know so again it's layer upon layer of things that, that cause these uh, these problems but from a business owner perspective obviously your duty of care is to do take reasonable steps to to make these things a framework just to sort of tick off and say well, yeah we're doing this this and this here this this and this 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 and this and then okay, you, perfect 
the point I think I was going to make was that particularly as I start to consider my daughter um, with her with her slipper slipping, the key factor for her is that she hasn't got shoes on. So the shoes make a big difference to her um, from a from a heel and footwear point of view because yeah. the it actually improves her contact with the surface yeah. over and above what her bare foot will do. So that that yeah. also has an impact as well. Just mm. as I start to think about those areas, but I you know I've, I've carried out loads of risk assessments and never looked at. Uh, never looked at the chimes model before so i think that will be really really helpful for people as they start to start to consider um certainly the the safety in their in their workplace so what's the what's the, tell me a bit more about the six step method then christian is now a good time for us to start to have a look at that yeah definitely so we we talk a lot about um thinking of a bridge between you know slip and grip which sounds a bit cheesy but kind of making it very simple to understand so um, the, the, the process that we uh, get people to go through, um, the six steps are measure, understand, and then improve, maintain, monitor, and evidence. And the idea here is that you're looking at things holistically to try and be preventative, uh, but you're also mindful of the fact that even if you take all reasonable steps and even if you do everything in the chimes model really well, you still occasionally might get an accident and therefore you want to be in the best possible position uh, to be able to defend that claim uh, as well. So um, measure is all about trying to get some science into this. So lots of those areas of chimes, as we've talked about with heel, for example, there are ways of scientifically measuring the effectiveness of different heels in different environments and under different contaminants to give you some scientific evidence to, to on which to base your uh, decision making. Um, cleaning and the maintenance that you know you can use slip testing to measure the efficacy of your cleaning but you can also use hygiene testing as well which has come to the fore in COVID times obviously um, and I think people have now a greater understanding of the fact that just because the surface looks clean it looks okay it doesn't necessarily mean it is clean because you know yeah, we all know that COVID is, is invisible uh, but also there are other contaminants that are invisible and that can inhibit the uh, slip resistance of the floor and obviously from a slip um, resistance perspective you can measure how slippery a floor is you can measure the dimensions of stairs you can measure the the angle the tangent of slopes so there's all sorts of things you can measure uh, and my view certainly when it comes to um, safety and risk is that we're very good at measuring the outcomes and the outputs but we're not so good at measuring the inputs and that's where we can make the biggest uh, change so we're just trying to encourage people to to take a bit more of a quantifiable um, approach next point is to understand and that's where the chimes model comes in so do that measurement and then try and get down into the uh, into the detail of each of these six areas and then we have a bit of a roadmap in terms of what we can do to improve Okay, so for, just sort of stop you there, if that's okay. So from a measurement point of view, are you suggesting that it'd be good for workplaces to consider the slip rating, for example, of the shoes that they're getting people to wear, and maybe do like a, a test, for example, with different members of staff with different uh, different types of uh, grip rating on their shoes, for example, and, yeah, and, I mean, and, and different cleaning products and, and that yeah. kind of thing? Is that exactly yeah sort of so thing you're uh, thinking, yeah. yeah exactly so just just go that, that you know that level beyond what you might think um, and that's where you'll you'll have the biggest results you know rather than looking at it kind of as a on the surface just go a little bit deeper so yeah exactly you know if you're in the position where you're considering footwear 
um, perhaps it's you know time to change, or you're looking at you're doing a program of renewals of footwear. Well, actually, just take a step back and say, well, do we have, do we have the right footwear? Are we specifying the right footwear? Mm-hmm. Um, given we're invest, you know, we're likely as a business investing in this as PPE, and it's costing us money. Well, if we're going to spend money, why not spend money on? Yeah, of course, it's going to achieve the right kind of outcome. And I don't know the answer to this, but like the bigger companies, so for example, like Tesco's, for example, have employed loads of staff. Uh, in their shops and they've obviously had as you mentioned before a slip a big slip uh, fine previously do they have they got to that point where they're starting to specify grip ratings for members of staff for example is that is that sort of where they're at or uh, um or not i don't i couldn't speak i couldn't speak okay. to tesco specifically um okay. but um certainly i know yeah that, that certain big companies um are looking at that a lot more closely yeah. um, there was a trial done and some scientific um uh, evidence taken about footwear in the nhs recently it was published a month or so ago yeah. showing quite a significant reduction in um slips and falls to nhs staff by putting in place the right footwear um yeah. so that is some that is something you know, we've seen examples, and again, we don't make or sell any footwear, so we've got no axe to grind. But we've seen examples of reducing accidents by over eighty percent just by getting the right footwear in place. Wow, that's that's massive, isn't it? That's big impact, big mm-hmm. impact. Okay, Brill, sorry, I interrupted you as you went no, on to right, understand yeah. No, it's always good to clarify. And so, yeah, so you know, the three things I would be looking at is definitely footwear, um, and then in terms of the floor surface, you know, if you haven't got a slip resistance value using a pendulum test on your floor, then I'd certainly consider getting one of those because that is invaluable uh, insight to, to, to be able to um, manage the risk. But also, uh, if you've got a good uh, score on a pendulum, then the insurers and the lawyers you know, like to have that evidence to enable them to defend claims. And do, many, for, do many companies have those pendulum tests proactively? I imagine that's... It's, it's fairly low still, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a, uh, a series of polls on LinkedIn recently going across sectors. And, you know, one of the questions was, um, have you slipped or do you know somebody close to you, i.e. friend or family that slipped? And it was something like 75% of people either had slipped themselves or knew somebody close to them that had slipped. And then another poll was, you know, have you ever had a pendulum slip test in your building? It was only about 14%. So there's quite a big discrepancy um, between those. And even the 14% probably aren't doing it, you know, regularly. That that might include, yeah, we had one done five years ago when we installed the floor. But the insurers and the lawyers like to see evidence of that kind of testing um, annually. Because if they've got a certificate which shows within 12 months of any kind of accident and claim, that the floor was safe when wet, that's a very robust uh, evidence for them to be able to defend uh, any claims. Excellent. And is that something you do? Is that part of the yeah, service you offer? You yeah, can that's do pendulum we do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's typically the um, uh, one of the first things that we do because, you know, it, we can't assume, you know, just as I'm saying to people, don't assume, we can't assume either. So we can't kind of go in there and start giving people advice without going through this methodology that we're talking about, including the, the measurement um, piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what's good about doing the testing is that you can test different areas and and even you can say to somebody, uh, you know, let's test um, the pavement outside as an example, because you know, and then you can show people a breadth of the different um, results on the slip resistance. So this is a low risk when wet, this one's a medium risk, this one's a high risk, and they start to get it. 
that, that helps to, to bring it to life and put a, if you put a number on something then you can manage it you know whereas yeah. if you're just if you're just sort of guessing then it's quite hard to manage perfect no really good okay um so yeah so we do we do uh help people to understand and then it's about improving so you know again that that's then identifying you know where are we strongest where are we weakest on the chimes and then choosing which areas we're going to look to improve um and going into a this is almost like a bit of a flywheel in the middle so it's improve maintain monitor is almost a continual improvement yeah, um, see, yeah. because yeah. we want to keep on top of this you know what we don't want to do is um you know uh, for example identify that cleaning is an issue the deep clean and then forget about it because the deep the benefit of that deep clean is only going to last so long unless we follow it up with uh, a maintenance program yeah. and we monitor to, to to ensure that it's actually working well uh, over time Perfect, yeah. and then that kind of flywheel <clears throat> helps us to produce the evidence so you know if you are standing in court and you've got to defend yourself you know what's going to help you well actually the evidence of having measured and quantified stuff scientifically is going to be extremely helpful because you know how can somebody suggest that you haven't taken reasonable and practicable steps if you've gone and done scientific measurement yeah, um, how can they suggest you haven't taken reasonable steps if you've got evidence of, uh, of doing that risk assessment using the chimes methodology how can they uh, claim that you haven't taken reasonable and practicable steps if you've implemented improvements and you've maintained and monitored that so it's all just it's all designed around uh you know primarily trying to prevent stuff from happening in the first place but if something does happen uh, it, positioning you to be uh in, in a very uh strong place to 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 be able to bat away um any claims yeah brilliant brilliant perfect and what sort of uh what sort of level of investment is a is a pendulum test for example what does that what does that look like for companies um so 500 quid so in the context of um and, and you know, for your kind of clients that would cover um pretty much all the floors they've got in their in their building so they get a really good view of everything and if we do that we come in and we also then comment on all the other chimes as well so you actually get a document which says well here's the slip resistance of the different floors as we've got them and as we found them if any of them are not uh, as good as they might be we then would look to do a, a, a deep clean a little sample area and then we test it again just to prove whether there's the cleaning is an issue so you're starting to get into the solution side of things uh, and then we'd comment on all the other factors as well so you get you know you get quite a lot of value from the yeah uh, absolutely 500 quid and and considering uh, a single claim's worth ten thousand uh, on yeah. average on average yeah. single claim uh once you're looking at multiples of people and uh and, and large footfall in a certain area it's uh it's, it's certainly a valuable investment isn't it yeah and, and i think the other thing as you touched on earlier is is it's not just the, the insured cost because the your insurance only covers a certain proportion of the costs of any of these accidents you know so there's also all the uh, time off and the um, replacement staff and the reputational risks and very, you know, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of other things. I mean, HSE um, estimates, I don't know if you've ever seen their accident um, iceberg, but they estimate for every pound of uh, claim costs, there's between eight and 36 pounds of uninsured costs. That's not specific to slips, that's mm -hmm. across all accidents. Um, so slips is going to be on the lower end of that, not the higher end. Um, yeah. We did some research of about 150 health and safety leaders, and they were coming up with a branding of about 10 to 12 times. So, you know, your, your, your 10K claim, yeah. uh, you know, 
on average is actually leading to another um, 100k of costs. Yeah, 100k of costs. Yeah, on top. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's that's absolutely what I've come across as part of my study. So yeah, absolutely. No, fantastic. Okay, cool. So, um, what is there anything else that we need to know around uh, how to reduce slips uh, in the workplace? Then, Christian, um, I would just um, always, I suppose, philosophically, I would always. Um, be a little bit mindful of what people are telling you as in um you know my cleaning company tells me that they're cleaning the floors properly okay that's great but can they prove it um my footwear supplier tells me that the, the, the footwear is anti-slip that's great but can they prove it my my new floor supplier tells me that the floor is anti-slip that's great but can you prove it so always be questioning and just again try and get that evidence um is the mindset that I would take because again if we go back to the beginning if we if we look at this a bit too superficially you know that's why we end up with uh, hundreds of thousands of people a year going to hospital I think uh, you know we, the, the duty of care element is it's clear that there's a shortfall in the quality of the duty of care for, for the statistics to be so high and therefore mm. we do need to take a pragmatic approach I really love you know, I've learned a great deal actually from from these two models, the Chimes model and the six step method as well. Um, I think that's uh, really really useful to get into the detail with slips. Hundred uh, yeah, percent, really really appreciate it. Okay, so what what sort of uh, the next step for people then is there is, if they're interested and want to learn more? Yeah. Um, you know, what is there a call to action or anything you'd like to give us, Christian? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I'll, I'll leave you with two things. Uh, one is that um, if you'd like to understand how you're currently doing on Chimes, we've got a digital diagnostic tool you can use. Um, it's called the Slip Safety Scorecard. And basically, you answer a series of yes-no questions. It takes five minutes on average. It's just a shade under five minutes on average. Um, and um, answering questions. And basically, what you get is a 30-page report, which gives you a score for each of the chimes, a percentage score. So you'll start to see, you know, right, we're strongest here, we're weakest there. What can we then do to improve? Uh, and it also gives you kind of personalised recommendations as well. So... You know, if you're strong at contamination but weak on footwear, um, it's going to give you five or six points on footwear, some of which we covered today, but to start to say, well, here's what you can do to improve. Um, so that, that's a really useful tool. That's totally free uh, for people to use, and you get a lot of value from that just to understand kind of where you are uh, in your building in the real world rather than the theory of what we're talking about um, on the podcast. So I'd encourage people to have a look at that they can find that um on our website but it's slipsafety.co.uk slash scorecard um, and they'll find all the information there uh, and then the other thing um if you're interested i've also got a podcast you know if you're listening to this you're, you're obviously a podcast fan i've got a podcast um i'm going to have uh, you on as a guest shortly as well um so it's called the safety and risk success podcast it's not just about slips and trips it's about safety and risk broadly but we have some really interesting uh, discussions on there so you know if you can add a podcast onto your uh if you've got extra time for listening to more podcasts then give that a go as well 
Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So people, if you're listening, have a, have a, have a check on Christian's podcast. Um, hopefully I'll be joining soon as well to, to, to sort of share my insights as well, which is fantastic. Uh, I think that scorecard's really great free resource. So check that out, slipsafety.co.uk forward slash scorecard. Uh, I think that's a really, really good starting point. Um, and, uh, and obviously you can self-manage from there or you can speak to Christian about pendulum test. There's lots of different options available to you and, and certainly start to use that chimes model in your risk assessment as well i think that's fantastic christian you've been an absolute star thank you for joining me hope hope listeners have enjoyed this episode and it's been educational and informative uh do reach out to christian on linkedin he does share some really great content too so uh for this week take care catch you all soon cheers I really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people if you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon